Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. We might just be in France, but this is global. These players are icons, their stories are noble. In fact, each story into the game is golden. It's way more than just a game. It's a player's story into the pitch and all that she overcame. It's football 2019 and this is its brand new face. Football Inside Out by Copper 90. Yo, 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 I'm Heath. I'm Monkey. And this is Football Inside Out, a podcast from Copa90. We're coming to you every day from Copa90 Clubhouse in Paris, bringing all the excitement from the 2019 Women's World Cup in France. And now we're in the knockout stages. And please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And here is what we have got for you today as part of our Unsung Icon series. We're looking at some of the people who are working hard behind the scenes of women's football. Today we speak to ex-professional player turned coach Jasmine Henderson. But first up, here are five things you need to know going into your day. Football Inside Out by Copper 90. So, five things you need to know going into your day. Number one, USA versus Spain. The US are through on two on win in the next round. Uh, two VAR penalties to the States and Megan Rapino putting them both away on the same side. Very brave to go left both times. Uh, Spain goal was due to a bad back pass, but a great finish. Yeah, I, I was a bit worried about the US for the final 10 minutes. They were dropping back to the top of their box, which is a war, like the, there was big gaps in the team. It seemed like they were a bit worried, very fatigued, uh, but also a good win for the US. VAR so. did its job. Soft calls, but calls nonetheless. Yep. Foolish challenges is what is what I would put Clumsy. that down to. Clumsy. Clumsy. You can't put yourself in that position. No. Number two. Number two. Six point nine million is a record, a new record, a record. Six point nine million people from the UK tuned into the England versus Cameroon game, which sets a new record for viewers of the women's team. Say record one more time, loose. That's forty-one percent of people who were watching TV in the UK that evening. That's a lot. Nice. Come on. I I I, I was letting you do that one. I know, yeah, it's for England. Um, Number three, Sweden uh, versus Canada. Uh, Sweden go up uh, 1-0. Canada awarded a penalty for handball. Keeper made an incredible save. Yeah. Struck that well. She covered all the way to the post. And seeing as how late keepers are reacting because all they're left to do is either leave really early Mm. to try to make a save or wait until they hit it, which gives you no chance against 99% of penalties. It was amazing to see her get all the way to the post without what they call cheating in this World Cup. Yeah, and she, yeah, she had her foot fully on the line or behind yeah. the line, so. Number four is also really cool. Uh, NASA and Copa90, what do they have in common? Uh, FIFA TV, it is a, a show that's daily during the World Cup on FIFA TV on YouTube. And in yesterday's episode, uh, Copa90 got a chance to talk to Anne McLean, Christina Koch, and Nick Haig, who are NASA astronauts, gave them a tour of the International Space Station and showed them where they get to watch the Women's World Cup and cheer on the U.S. women's national team. That's pretty amazing. So he spoke to people in space? In space. Amazing. Yeah. And they had like a massive big screen where they were watching the game. Do you think they'd let us do a podcast from up there? 
Maybe. I don't see why not. Let's talk to the bosses. New record. (laughs) First podcasters in space. Number five, going into today, uh, the matches that you need to look out for are Italy versus China and Netherlands versus Japan. Oh, quickly, who do you got? I've got Italy and I've got... I'm going to go for Netherlands. What about you? I'm going to stay. I'm going to ride with you on that. Italy and Netherlands for the win. Let's do it. Copper 90. What's up? What's going on? I'm good. I'm how, right. how, was, how was your day so far? My day's been good. Pretty relaxed. I had a few uh, beers last night, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And had a lovely time. So you just had beer last night then? No, I had champagne as well. Mm. My mate bought in champagne because they're team one. Oh. So I only had a bit. That, that, a little bit. That reminds me of, of Maybe something. Maybe a shot. Your, so your friend's team one and he or she brought in champagne. Mm. Is it a thing in Europe, or at least in the UK, when it's your birthday, you're supposed to buy gifts? Like you're supposed to bring the cake? No. This is a thing in Scandinavia and in Germany that when it's your birthday, you bring, you, what? Someone, Someone just sprayed, sprayed perfume. Yeah, the- yeah, that's not a, like an air freshener, is I it? That's of, like a musky, mm. uh, smells very, uh, <laughs> I might like start it. doing some push-ups in here soon. It's a very, uh, Musk Black Panther spray, yeah. But I, I remember it being a thing when I when I was younger and I didn't know anything about other cultures and I was living abroad. That on your birthday you bring cake. Oh, that's new to me. No, no. I, one time, um, my mates kind of stitched me up and they gave me everything that you would need to make a cake on my birthday. They brought it out like wrapped. No, you know, so like, you know, when someone brings out a cake at the re- at a restaurant, and they sing you happy birthday. Yeah. So the waiter brought out a basically a, a cake tin with 12 eggs, flour, a pint of milk, butter, chocolate, and then with a candle in the top of it. <laughs> and they all sang me happy birthday. And then I had to take it everywhere where I went. When we went out afterwards, I had to try and get it into like clubs and stuff. Did at you? one point, <laughs> well, at one point, security stopped us and they were like, can you open your bag? And they looked at it. <laughs> and they're just like, and they're like raw eggs yeah. in a bowl. And I, and one of my teammates went, we're going to make a cake. And instead of being like weirded out by it, they just looked up and went, a Victoria sponge? And we were like, yeah. And they were like, okay, go, go ahead. <laughs> like, Clearly you're a baker. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't, never bought my own cake though. You discovered that? Yeah. It was like an expectation. The first time I heard it, I was like, yeah, that's funny. That's funny. I showed up without a cake that day. And everybody's like, why would you show up on your birthday without bringing a cake? Yeah. And it's like, it's a legitimate thing, which I actually, if you really think about that, it's a lot better than everyone else needing to do something for you. You do something for everyone else. Yeah. So instead of you having to do something for a hundred people's birthdays a year, you only have to do something for your birthday. That's true. Isn't that kind of cool? You don't have to buy people presents. No no presents or anything. No, you just bring the cake. Like you bring the treats that day or like you bring the lunch or you bring like whatever it is. It's a single time. As opposed to you having to be part of a hundred times with a group of people. So it's much more cut and dry if you ask me. What did you bring in? Just a cake? Did anyone bring anything different? Different? What's like a really scandy thing to bring in? Probably sweets, like sh- like candy. Sweets. Okay. Candy would be, I would guess, or like the seasonal like pastries that they have if your birthday was in that season. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's actually now that I'm thinking about it. A much much better idea is there anything else that culturally you found different when you played abroad in other countries that took you by surprise yeah i found that 
I found it very bizarre moving to Denmark and dealing with people that were my age that were having like dinner parties. So like <laughs> at the age of 20, you're yeah. having people over and having like, when we have dinner parties growing up in California or even in college, it was a very casual thing. Like you'd go there, there'd be food and you just sort of be standing around hanging out. Yeah. It wasn't like dinner's ready and everybody goes and sits at the table and you're forced to be in this environment. Like I, I cannot think of very few things that are worse than me being forced to sit at a table with people I don't know and then like play the game of like semi-interested in everything that everyone's saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like you can get up and move to like the next person. Whereas if you're in a room, you can kind of just like move on to the yeah, next person. And I, and I really struggled with that for like the first, actually the entire time I was there <laughs> because it was just something I didn't like. I didn't like, I'm not a big fan of like small talk or like stuff that's just sort of like we're doing this because we're standing next to each other. I, I don't give a shit enough about like politics. I care about politics, but I don't care enough to like, I, I don't want to get in a conversation with somebody so we can like compare our views on things mm -hmm. or see who's smarter or more well-read. Like I'd rather try to use that energy another time on people that I would actually want to know or learn something that maybe I know or learn something from someone yeah. instead of it just being like a random person you're probably not going to see again and sitting at a table like kind of like, oh, pass the potatoes and like just the formality of it of people my age just seemed really, really foreign. It was something that like was really hard for me to get over. I find it really hard to hide when I don't care about something somebody's saying. Like I'll always be polite up until, I mean, no, I'll always be polite, but I find I do, I did like, you can spot if I'm not interested. I find it quite hard. For the first time I felt liberated on this trip from some, from doing something like that, actually standing up for myself. So it was like around 8.30. I usually try to stop eating and drinking by, by on this trip's been like nine. And mm -hmm. then, you know, for like the intermittent fasting stuff. And I went to go get a burger and I was starving. Like I was absolutely starving. I was tired. Like I'd hit the wall. It was like one of the first days of just like pure overstimulation at the clubhouse. Cause like people in and out all day long. It's a lot of action. It's a lot of fun, but like ultimately you step outside and like the world hits you like, wow, that was intense. We got there and uh, a friend of, of Tino's mm -hmm. uh, Tino, if whoever's listening doesn't know is one of our hosts and kind of like our pure football fans at Copa 90 was there and was asking me questions about like, just football stuff about my career or something on a personal level. And like, I was like, I can't do this, man. Yeah. I cannot do this. And so I turned to him and I was like, I'm sorry. We're waiting for this burger. And once I eat this burger, <laughs> you can ask me anything you want. <laughs> I will. Fair. I like, I was literally, and it felt the best thing. Cause usually I'll just be like, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's asking me questions about like nuanced things. And I was kind of just, it was more being, I was being, more of a dick by giving him answers that were less than like valid than yeah. actually just being like, yo, just sit tight. Like, let me get this sustenance in my body. And then we can like go all in on these conversations. The problem was we never actually had that conversation later on, <laughs> but it felt really good to just be honest and just be like, like now's not really a great time for me. I'm starving. I'm not really listening to you. Yeah. And I'm staring at the guy behind the counter who's wrapping all of the to go meals, just waiting for him to, wrap one and bring it to me so I can eat. So like, just sit tight. I think that's a good thing to do. Cause the work, cause otherwise some, sometimes people think you're coming across rude where in actual fact, it's like, you just don't know what kind of day is going on with that person. And right. maybe they're just not in the right mood to answer all your questions. And they're often questions that you've heard a million times. What do you do when you're DJing and somebody gets to you on stage? I mean, there has to be occasional <laughs> times, like not so much at like festivals, but yeah. when you're playing a club or a smaller venue where it's like your crew, 
that's hanging with you up there because you've got that hidden bottle behind uh, you know yeah, behind the turntables yeah, yeah, that yeah. everybody's trying to get get from. And then they have a few friends, and then it extends to that one person that you know is going to come up with a drink over over the turntables, thinking like wanting people to see them up there, and then ask you questions that you ultimately are like having to kind of prep your next song and they're just like in your ear yeah yeah no i actually don't mind people coming in the booth or like on stage as long as they aren't causing like any trouble or like getting in the way but some people come in the booth on stage and they think it's totally fine to like stand next to you when you dj but obviously like there's only so much room and you're trying to switch from one deck to the other and they're just stood right next to you like Sometimes trying to talk to you when you have headphones on, which is, I find weird. With a drink, like you said, hands in the air, you're like, this is going to go, this is only going to go wrong. Well, this is their like peak life moment, right? They've made it to, no, that's mean to say, but like, <laughs> it is a, it is it a, it is a peak moment for people to, yeah. like, you have like reached the holy land, right? You've been watching this forever in your life, if you're a music festival or in a club or whatever, and now you've made it up there. Yeah. And now you get to look out amongst the sea of people or in the club and be like, I've made it. Yeah, yeah. And they stand right next to you. And you guys, and, and DJs like you, you have, you play on like four decks. Yeah. So it's like a 15 foot wide table, you know, like yeah. there's not a lot of room for anybody to be in the front row. The funniest ones are when, it's actually thankfully never happened to me, but like when someone turns up to a club and they clearly don't like what's being played, but most of the time they don't even know why they're there or they expect to hear something else and they don't, they don't know the lineup. They just end up there and they stand at the front and they kind of lean over the, decks and they just kind of like berate you for like 30 minutes and it's like come on bro i don't go to your office and say that your excel sheet looks shit for 30 minutes in your ear just leave man <laughs> why have you paid 10 pounds to come here there's an old scene from curb your enthusiasm where he's in a locker room and he runs into a doctor and he's got this like shoulder problem and he's like you mind just taking a look at it and he's like what like I would never go to your office when you're writing and ask you to write something for me. So I'm off the clock right now. Why would you ask me to be a doctor right now? And he's just like, yeah, but it's like, it's the little thing. Just like, look at it real quick. And he's like, I'm not working right now. And it's like this really awkward, like, yeah, but you're a doctor and you could just look at it and tell me the answers to the problem. You know? And he's like, yeah, but like, I would never do that to you as a writer. I would never go to your writer's room and then ask you to write me a letter in the middle of it. Yeah. No, most, um, most people call though. You, and often it's because like they've had too many drinks or something and they get a bit excited and they just need to be told. Is that what happens in clubs? That's what happens music in festivals. clubs, People yeah. end up having too much to drink. I tell you what, Glastonbury's on. Glastonbury's going to be on soon, this weekend. I've heard that way too many times in the last couple months. I, I don't know this, fest- I, I know the name of the festival, yeah. but I've heard a lot of people talk about it. Like I've also seen people from our London office posting like, does anybody have one VIP ticket, well, ticket good to... Luck. Good luck. Who it was Emily Butler, that? though. Emily Butler. Oh, big up Emily. She can track a VIP ticket. Yeah, down. yeah, yeah. No, Glastonbury's cool. It's so big, though. Is it ele- electronic music? No, it's it? all, all music. It's, all, it's, like, it's like, I would say, the, the most famous festival in the world. Yeah, possibly. One of them, definitely. But it's just so vast. Like, if you walk from one, one end to the other and it's a bit rainy, it's a good hour and a half I say. So it would have top artists like Coldplay there. <laughs> Coldplay did actually headline there, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, sure they did at some point. Who headlined last time? I can't remember now. Um, I don't know Adele's headline. Did you play Beyonce. any Coldplay remixes at any point in your life? I didn't, no. No? No, never a Coldplay remix, no. Although there, when I was young, there was this like weird grime remix of clocks that like people used to play on their phones at the back of a bus. And when I look back at that, I'm like... That's so lame. 
<laughs> but um, Georgia Stanway put out a tweet yesterday or today, I'm not sure, at in Glastonbury Festival saying, hey, we're playing in the quarterfinals quarter on Thursday. My brother's going to be at Glastonbury. Do you mind screening the, the match? Did but they respond? I don't know if they've responded yet, but I know that Glastonbury do show the Men's World Cup when it's on and Glastonbury's on because it will fall in the same weekend. Quite this often. is. I've been talking about this from the start of the tournament. This could be the beer throwing this moment be that the we're waiting for. Moment. I've been waiting yeah. for this. I'm sure it's been happening. It hasn't reached me yet, but now there are legit stakes. I think they should. The they should. They should show it, especially if they, if you know, they're all. I mean, Glastonbury are all about equality and stuff, so they say. So they should definitely show it. I feel like I need to go to that festival too at some point. Oh yeah, you should definitely go, dude. We, and maybe we'll go to a Burning Man. Although Burning Man gives me the fear, mate. Yeah. Like I'm. Just, don't know it scares me yeah there's no currency people there's no currency at this festival you have to bring things to exchange to be fair though that's the way we should be living though it should be uh like a capitalism free society where we can just barter things with a bunch of other hippies and <laughs> showering is optional <laughs> I don't, no, uh, i think we need currencies yeah we need, we need yeah. currencies yeah it, it looks like something out of mad max but with Carl Cox there. Yeah, it's... De- <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds, you know, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I like that. There are matches today. Uh, Italy's playing China and Netherlands are playing against Japan. Yeah, big games. I would like Italy to do well this tournament. I think they've already done well, but they could go... I mean, getting China in this match is, is a huge advantage for them. Yeah. Like, Netherlands are playing Japan. It's weird because leading up, I almost forgot that there would be, like, an Italy and China because there's so many big teams that have played matches, mm-hmm. right? That you wouldn't think... Like, I, I, they were just, like, kind of out, out of sight, out of mind for me. Going yeah. to 16 teams, you would think that you're starting to eliminate more teams than are eliminated yet. For, I'm, at least I thought that. So, Italy-China, though, I, I'm, I, I think Italy can, can win this one. And then Netherlands-Japan is going to be a... That could go either way. I think Netherlands have a really, really good shot at beating Japan. It could go either way. And every single game so far in the knockout stage has been really good. There's not been a disappointing game. I went and played pickup football with a bunch of Japanese guys who were here from Fashion Week. Oh, yeah. They are ballers. They're They're so technical. And technical, yeah. Center of gravity so low. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and they pass the ball. And it's just a bunch of, like, guys that are here from different companies and stuff. They're all, we're all playing with each other. And they're just so good. Japanese Japanese footballers are just generally very technical and intelligent like players. The mm. way they play the game, they understand the game really, really well. I wonder why the men don't do so as well. I mean, the men have... I honestly don't know anything about the Japanese football team, men side. I mean, it's just hard to judge at a national team level like what's doing well, right? Winning the Asian Cup. Yeah. I think they've won that a few times. Until like Australia went to Asia. Asia, yeah. Japan was probably the biggest... I guess South Korea was good in 2002. Who's uh, their biggest player who plays club? Now? Yeah. That's a good question. I t- could not. <laughs> Japan men's national team, Google search. <laughs> um, Fact check. But yeah, they've, they've had a lot of big players throughout the years, like um, Hideo Toshi Nakata. Do you remember him? He was a Roma player. Very, very okay, good. Okay, yeah, yeah. He was like one of their... I don't think any of them will play, be playing in the Premier League from the, off the top of my head. Maybe other places in Europe, but... There's Nakamura. I don't know if he's even still playing. But yeah, I, I can't think off the top of my head. But the Japanese women's team is also just as technical. They play the game really well. They're calm. They move well. It's They move it's, the ball uh, so, so fast. Yeah. And there was a whole hubbub about dropping loads of um, senior players before the tournament 
for younger players, but it seems to have worked out so far. So far, but now this is where like the the test starts for them. Um, and then Netherlands, I, I just, they have such a lethal attack and I know I've sort of said that a million times, but they have to turn up. It's the only way that they're gonna yeah. really go through. And then also to find out that um, Miedema has broken their goal scoring record already. Yeah on like 70 appearances and she's got like 50 goals or something yeah. like that's insane crazy um yeah so i was wrong okazaki plays for leicester and won the league with them too he was playing that did you watch much of that season yeah when leicester won the league that was intently nuts. i think that was one of the major things in the last i mean obviously it, we might not see that again in our lifetime a team of that level doing what they did but that was one of the things that i think reinvigorated general fandom for the premier league again if you weren't yeah. supporting and necessarily supporting a team it kind of brings everybody back into it because it's it becomes everyone's team yeah, because it's yeah, the yeah, un yeah. it's the underdog story that we all like as humans love yeah oh god i wasn't even mad about like not not winning the league that i mean we probably should have because we had a really good chance but i wasn't even mad at leicester winning i was like that's nice that's a nice story and probably never happened again in my lifetime I just got a message right now from yeah. somebody from our New York office that said, uh, 10 years ago today, since I was on the bench against, uh, I think his, his emphasis was that I wasn't playing in this match. <laughs> you were sitting on the bench for our Confederations Cup match against Spain. We lost. We won in the semifinals in the Confederations Cup 10 years today. He, is he that. saying he was on the bench or you No, he's saying I was on the bench. Okay, okay, okay. Um, it was the one that I was, the, the story that I told where we thought we were out and then went to a final and lost to Brazil in the final. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think his emphasis was on, that I had a front row seat to the match because <laughs> I, I didn't play. What an ass. Funny enough, there was a guy uh, who tweeted during that one saying like uh, another, another courtside seat to a big match was, and he was in, in the team with us and he got in trouble for saying that. Really? Yeah, the coach wasn't a big fan of social media at the time. Obviously, social media has changed a lot in 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for reminding me, Burke, of <laughs> courtside seats that I had for a big match. Talking of Brazil as well, um, did you see Marta's very sort of passionate speech at the end of the uh, Brazil-France game the other day? Yes. Yeah, one of the things she said in it, I mean, it was quite, uh, there was quite, I mean, there's some amazing quotes in there, but she said, the women's game depends on you to survive and pointed down the camera and I felt very like it was my responsibility now. <laughs> it was extremely direct. It was direct. She kept going straight into the camera at times, not to the interview yeah. and just speaking directly to like it had that intensity that it, it like a lot of times, you know, people are just talking to, to talk or talking because it's an interview. Someone asks a question. This was literally like a PSA. It was yeah. literally like an announcement it's almost like the way Nike would make a commercial if they were to make a commercial with Marta in it in oh a way God. that like just pierces. Uh, I guess she's not Nike because she has the brandless shoes. Yeah. But like in a way that it feels like the like it goes through the phone and it reaches you directly. It's like tears all the walls down and it's a girl like right on the other side that she's talking directly to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was pretty raw. It was intense. It yeah. was wicked. It, it, it landed. It la yeah, 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 definitely. I watched it like three or four times over and over again. But oh yeah, just... Just going back to what you said, so she's got no, she's she's covered the the brand of her football boot with the flag, with the equality flag. Mm -hmm. So she decided not to be sponsored for this World Cup to wear the equality flag on her boot. But yeah, I bet Nike are like, there is an advert right there. <laughs> is it a Nike shoe that she's covering, or is it a sure. brandless shoe? I'm not sure. I'm not sure which is. Remember I, when Rivaldo used to wear like Asics or something like that? Really? That's like the dad shoe. Yeah, like boots. 
Did he? He wore like a like uh like was traditionally like a running shoe. What was Maybe it was Asics or something, and he was like one of the few, and he always they were always white. Really? Yeah, it was really crazy that it was just like an odd brand that he he chose to. Did they just get offered a bunch of money or something? Mizuno. No way, Mizuno. Uh, Mizuno. Yeah. I was in like Asics yeah. running like football boot. Is I that mean, even Mizuno? A Mizuno is is like a baseball brand. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah well, Mizuno. We don't have Mizuno in the UK. I don't think. I've never. Oh, oh no. Yeah, we do. We're getting a few Mizuno running shoe nods. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. What was hey, your first pair of football boots? Most of my stuff came from a place called Payless Shoe Source. Mm-hmm. So Payless was the place, at least back then, where all of us that didn't have any money went to get stuff that looked like the products <laughs> the, the of those who stuff. had money. Yeah, yeah. So like I would get basketball shoes when I was playing youth basketball with like, they look like Jordans, but they had no brand on them. They yeah. had like the air bubble, but it, you know, it's just like, like I got teased for them, but it was like the closest I could get until yeah. I had the money to get it. So probably shoes from there. And then once I hit like 11 or 12, people started just hooking me up. So I, I most of my life, I got like the hand-me-downs Three of my weeks. older brother. Yeah. And then once I was sort of in a system of some kind, when I was like, when I was living in Oregon, I had a friend whose family worked at Nike. And so we were able to start getting those. And it's just, you just had, I started to have access to new and nice shoes pretty regularly. And then the youth national team starts and then- Free boots yeah. all day. Yeah. I was uh, five and my nan bought me my first pair of football boots for Christmas. Me and my cousin, the same pair. Me and Billy got the same pair, and they were black uh, Lotto. Do you remember Lotto? Yeah, of course. Like the diamond. It was like a diamond. Yeah, Roberto it? Baggio or Lotto. Yeah, black black boots, Lotto logo, blue and white one. I think I still have them somewhere, and they're fucking tiny. They're like the size of my fist. They're kind of you, you, back in the day, there was a catalog called Acme Sports, and they had seasonal sales that allowed you to... Basically, everything was like 80% off, but it wasn't anything that, like, it, you couldn't get Nike or Adidas in there. But what you got was, do you remember Admiral? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, It's like yeah, the yeah. lines with the little circle on top. Yeah. You could get Admiral, uh, Le Coq Sportif. Yeah. You could get uh, some Diodora stuff, Lotto, and a few other brands at like 80% off. So every Christmas was like, that was our, like, our Christmas shopping was within this catalog. So you get these full track suits, completely brandless, you know, they were like the ones that, it was, they were like the bulk buying ones that you would then buy for a team at wholesale yeah. and then have them embroidered or logoed into your, yeah, like yeah, your club's yeah, yeah. crest put on it, except they had no crests or anything. They were just like the tracksuits. Were you like a black boot guy or like a really, like a Larry boot guy? I remember when I first went into this residency program, which back in 2000, in the early, late 90s, mm. uh, they launched a, a program called Project 2010. And this was the US's attempt at trying to catch up with the rest of the world at football clearly failed um, because we were supposed to win the World Cup in 2010. Didn't happen. Um, Isn't that the plan every World Cup? Suppo- was supposed to win the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, but most, uh, most, uh, most teams are just happy to be there, right? And, and we were supposed to create this developmental standard called Project 2010. And that meant we needed to do what the rest of the world was doing. So they created this program called, uh, this co- program called Residency. So the best 18 players in the world would move to Florida and train every day to simulate what the rest of the world was doing by the age of 15, right? Because most of us in our hometowns, you're training twice a week. It's some kid's dad at that point on the team and like doesn't know the game. Everyone's sort of in a different phase. People are just like, like taking the piss out of practice. It's post-school, mm. like it's not serious. So they created this simulation program and... In this program, the coach made a rule uh, because we had a lot of youth sort of like guys coming through the ranks that were going to turn pro in high school at like 16, 17, yeah. that no one was allowed to wear anything but black boots, 
You had to wear shin guards in training and long socks until you turned pro. As soon as you huh. turned pro, you could wear the ankle socks yeah. and you could change the color of your boots. So everybody had to wear all black all the time. Naturally, now that was different because back then there was two colorways. There was white and there was black. Whereas yeah. now it's actually harder to get black boots from any of these brands because they don't sell, right? Yeah, you need yeah. a new colorway. You need a new model. It's a lot of synthetic leathers, all these things. You have to like, you have to pop to be, to be relevant. Yeah, yeah. So, so I wore black most, most <laughs> so of the time. You wore black. By, I didn't have a choice. But you, well, in your professional career, you still wore black. No, because by then there wasn't, there, there wasn't much black. I remember when I first got to Denmark, the team was sponsored by Hummel. Uh, and you had to wear Hummel, but that, that ended as soon as I got there because I was sort of like protesting because I had just signed a Puma contract. Uh-huh. Then the, the deal sort of fell apart, forcing people to wear it, and all they had was black Hummels. But then at that point, the whole game was shifting anyway. Everything was becoming colorful. So I don't think I ever wore straight black, but maybe when they, When they were making you wear Puma boots, you should have just like in protest, like drawn a smiley face, like in the face of the cat. <laughs> I was allowed to wear the Puma. Oh, you're allowed to wear Puma. Allowed, okay, I, you weren't allowed they to. They were trying to force us to wear Hummel, oh. which Hummel's like a rad brand. It's come like, back now, it's in, definitely in a, come back. In a, in a boot, it wasn't like- It's not the best. Yeah, it's not the best yeah. at that time. Like bricks, a couple bricks. Hey, we have a uh, unsung icons package to listen to uh, that we mentioned at the top of the show. This is Jasmine Henderson. The unsung icon. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hi everyone, my name is Jasmine Henderson. I'm a former professional soccer player, two-time world record holder, author, speaker, and my current role is a, a soccer coach at Tudela Football Club in Hollywood. So my journey to this position right now has really come from a desire in what I kind of grew up when uh, I was playing soccer. You know, I coach for an all-girls soccer club right now, and our mission is to not just grow the game, but to really change the game. And uh, we teach a very awesome, aggressive, free style for women. Uh, and it starts at the level, you know, when you're a girl and you're playing uh, club club football. So, um, you know, my whole journey and how I grew up really led me to uh, this amazing club in Hollywood where uh, it's all girls from every different type of socioeconomic situation, uh, religion, race, color, background, everything, and using that, uh, the mode of football to really bring us all together, which is what happens worldwide, and I love it. We believe that no player should be left behind. So whether you can afford to play club or not, there's a, there's a place for you. And that was really important, especially in the environment in LA where you do kind of have those extremes. And we wanted girls to have access, no matter where you come from, to have access. So that way, those players that are really good but can't afford it, they can still have that time to shine and grow and uh, become the best soccer player that they can. The beauty of girls getting out on the pitch and playing is that it's more than what you get in a classroom education. That mentality that um, I can risk 
I can make mistakes and I can, you know, go out there and recover. You know, there's a whole different mentality. So especially having women coaches, we have male and female coaches in the club, you know, but for those of us, you know, uh, I'm a former professional soccer player, um, another female coach, you know, played at UCLA. Uh, and so we've got top women level coaches um, who can really relate to these girls and these girls have somebody to look up to. What I hope to inspire in the, into girls is, again, it's more just about changing the game and that starts from the inside out. So what I'm hoping to, to change is really that mentality that whether, you, whether your dream is to go on to play collegiately or professionally or not, changing that mentality from the inside out is, um, you know, inspiring that I have something to give to the game. Uh, you know, whether again, whether that is to play at an elite level or not, uh, to go out there to compete and uh, to really change that game for themselves. That's really going to change the landscape, I believe, of their their life, their family, their family life, their home life, but also in their careers, you know, and, and what they go on to do outside of the sport. I think it's super exciting to see where the women's game is at now. And yeah, it is uh, definitely surpassing the men's game right now in the U.S. And I, I believe that's just because also where we where we are culturally, uh, we still have a ways to go. But I, I think that it's super exciting to see just how big, uh, you know, this house for women can be. I feel like you know, kind of almost coming full circle, you know, 20 years later from the 99ers and and really the door that they kicked down. I feel that this World Cup is definitely different in the fact that um, there's so many things that have happened in the past two years uh, surrounding women empowerment and women's rights and equality, uh, so much so to where it's not just a bunch of noise. I feel like this World Cup is an opportunity to really make good on the changes that we want to see uh to take that in action and not just um in theory <laughs> and so i i think that there's a lot of different brands like uh that are coming on really strong we're really starting to see these stories of different different heroes different women uh that are involved in this world cup and um i think that the media getting behind it these big global brands getting behind it it's really investing into women's sport and I think that's what's different is it's not just the occasional rare <laughs> you know thing that you see or like the one-off story that you see there's a whole wave of momentum that I think is just come at such a perfect time for this World Cup. That was the same Jasmine Henson that took part um, in the world's highest altitude game of soccer ever which was was that Mount, Mount Kilimanjaro did everyone get altitude sickness for that though I would think that's got to be pretty I mean obviously that's what the sacrifice is right to create the momentum and people talking about it is to to, to go to the extreme and and I believe that's a yeah, it's a it's a Guinness book of world records record it's like a world <laughs> Guinness record book of world, world record record yeah <laughs> it's a record from a world record book 5,785 meters wow yeah very high Imagine playing football in that, in, in that. I just saying that next. if you said that was at feet, I would be like, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> almost next. six, almost a mile high is hard. Have you ever played at mile high? So in the US no. and MLS, Denver, the team that plays in Denver, yeah. uh, plays at mile high, right? So mile high stadium is what the NFL team plays in. The stadium's called mile high stadium. Mm. 
And obviously the MLS team plays at the same elevation and there is a distinct advantage because it's a altitude acclimation that you don't have because you come in a day or two before the match, which they say is actually best for altitude. They say that you either have to be there like a, a week, two weeks or something to acclimate or less than a certain amount of time or your body stays in the middle. Mm. So they say the advantage of playing at altitude for people who play there or live there mm. is that you can handle obviously you're you're acclimated to altitude but ultimately the, something to do with your white blood cells means that you can't actually cover as much distance so you hit a wall earlier than those who aren't playing at altitude so it's a disadvantage no it's an advantage because oh so not playing altitude yeah, your yeah. resources are depleted quicker yeah, when yeah. you're not from there but the disadvantage is that they can't go as long when they go somewhere else or something yeah, like that okay. they don't have the same like vo2 whatever I was going to say... That's what people told us every time we went there. So, like, I was just like, you're exhausted. You're literally exhausted after 15 minutes. Like, you can't... You know when you're going in and you you sort of, like, get... Your your heart rate goes way up and then finally it settles down. You sort of get that second wind and you're like, yeah. okay, I could run all day now. You never get that at altitude. You never feel like, okay, now my lungs are open. Now I'm ready to go. You just sort of, like, you're in a fight with your body the whole match. It's It's actually a thing that you think about when you're playing it as opposed to just being like, oh, I'm here, I'm playing... I'm either tired or not. I've never played altitude. I've had altitude sickness, so I don't know what that feels like. It's it's also weird, though, again, with, on the sports science subject of just, like, how quickly it changes, too, because in five years it'll be totally. completely different of what's good, yeah. what's bad, how to, like, manage your body because everybody's looking for that edge, right? And everybody's yeah. trying to be innovative and test new things and constantly in a state of uh, R&D, I guess. Yeah, I, I looked up that Tom Brady diet thing that we yeah. were talking about the other day, and it's <laughs> insane. I was just like... This guy's insane. I mean, well, this is why he gets to play so long and has had such a lustrous career at the age of 40, whatever. But I was looking at what he is and isn't allowed to eat and when he is or isn't allowed to drink water. Guy's a machine. I'm pretty sure he just eats and drinks air. And I also think he's treating his body probably the way that it's meant to be treated on some level. We are just uh, savages and we're like, man, that burger was good. I need to drink something down with that. But like he won't have... A burger or... Nah, me and you sat on the steps yesterday and smashed a packet of gummy bears. So that's where we are with that. To be fair, those are called smart sweets. Uh, and those only have three grams of sugar in the entire I did read bag, that. I did read and that. And no sugar alcohols. It's actually incredible. Normally one gummy bear has, has three grams of sugar and you can eat an entire bag, three grams of sugar. Your daily dosage is like 10 grams of sugar. And I think an apple has like five times that of how much oh, really? sugar you're supposed to have. Yeah, I was reading the back of the packet and I was quite impressed. Yeah. I don't usually read back packet stuff. The founder's like in her mid twenties maybe and was just like was a stress eater and found mm. herself eating all of this stuff and like really, really unhealthy and then just decided I'm gonna try to make a new product, which it is really good. hard to do. It sounds like we're plugging them right now. It tastes good. It, it really does, does taste, taste good. good. It tastes good. It tastes good and it's good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Believe us. Well semi it's semi good for you. It's not the, it's not an apple, is it? Do is you, an, apple, an apple's not bad for you though, is it? An apple a day. It keeps the doctor away. That's what they said. <laughs> Did you guys not have that phrase? Yeah, we've got that phrase. Yeah, why well, are you guys waiting for me to finish it then? You no, guys are no, I was all just... terrible people. <laughs> I was just terrible saying. people. Okay, I was just, you just left me out there. I was all by myself in that <laughs> silence. I thought you were gonna. I thought you was gonna end with a joke or something, but it just. Came, I don't do came, jokes. No. Okay, I don't do jokes. That's not me. I grew out of that last week. Do you have any numbers for me? I do have numbers for you, actually. Yeah. Okay, quiz me. I'm feeling quizzable. Let's see how many numbers I have for you today. We have three. We have mm, 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 I think you 19.8 got, 
percent. Is, yeah. is that a TV viewership number? No. Is it a uh, 19.81% could be a, a ticket sold? No, 19.81% of all group stage goals were scored in the last 10 minutes of the match. Did you have a thing when you were younger called Big Five? No. We had it called Big Five, which is like there's a, there's a crazy percentage that uh, some percentage of goals are scored within the first and last five minutes of every match and then within five minutes of a goal being scored. So the crucial five minutes to start uh, a match, the, to end a half or end yeah. a match, and then on the backside of a goal being scored or like when like an astronomical high, astronomically high yeah. percentage of goals are scored. That makes sense. Yeah. That does make sense. Number eight. The most assists by a single player in the World Cup so far? With eight uh, women World Cup games now one in a row usa are chasing down norway's all-time winning streak record in the women's world cup of 10 was that in 95 and 99 then i have absolutely no idea i don't know but i imagine so probably one yeah, of those they won 95 yeah, exactly, so there yeah. has to be a good run of net games there um i'll do this one quickly zero uh the amount of uh fun i'm having with that number <laughs> <laughs> zero joke uh, no wait, sorry, i'm not allowed to do jokes i'm not allowed oh, yeah. to do See, jokes just yeah. totally uh, just joke uh no go ahead uh germany are yet to concede a goal at this year's fifa women's world cup wow i know because we were kind of dissing them weren't we they're were like they're scraping by we they're just getting through then they got through then they won three nil and they also haven't conceded a single goal so actually they're doing quite well <laughs> yeah what, what who was it in here that that came in as a guest and they were like yeah it's the best place to be is like not playing well, but winning games. Was it Heather O'Reilly? Could have been Heather, yeah. It was the perfect scenario. Yeah, maybe it's Heather. Um, yeah. yeah, so we've mm, sleeping dragons, even though they're one of the favourites. Um, but that's all we have for you today. Another day of Football Inside Out. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, wherever you listen to your podcasts, so you never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, please leave us a review. And subscribe to the newsletter. Head to copa90.com slash WC19 and click or tap on Copa90 France Daily to sign up. And get in touch because we'd love to hear from you. Send us emails and voice notes to footballinsideout at copa90.com and tweet us using the hashtag Copa 90 Inside Out and we will see you all tomorrow. Goodbye. This is a We Are Great production for Copa 90.